Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. This week we'll be talking with the author of a new book entitled Blindness for Beginners that I think might prove a useful book for lots of people. Maribel Steele takes us along on her journey of discovery where sight loss can become a renewed vision of what's possible. We'll talk with her about her transition from her early diagnosis and rejection of being labeled as disabled to her eventual acceptance of and success at making changes in her life to accommodate. But first for our tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Maribel Steele. If you want to be a writer uh, and you have vision impairment, maybe this is even for anyone who wants to be a writer. One, you need to be passionate about your topic. That will keep you going through the difficult times. Two is set time aside. Treat writing as your job. The best thing is to block out time in your diary and treat it like that is when you're going to show up for your writing assignments. Three is Set goals, but set achievable weekly goals. Don't make it too hard. You actually want to make some progress. It is a really long task, so just do it bit by bit and then reward yourself at the end of little processes. And number four is seek mentors and people and what I call your team. Get a team around you to support you through. You talked about setting achievable weekly goals. How long did it take you to write this book? Well, basically, I started last November. I have now finished it within a year, but the content I have been writing for about six to eight years. So a lot of the content was stuff that I've written on blogs, stories that I've put in in competitions, things that have never been seen before. And I just brought it all together in a book. But it's a year of hard work and six to eight years of incubation. And I think that makes for the best told stories. If you've been percolating the concept in your head and telling it or writing it in different versions, then by the time you finally put out the final public version, you've had time to test which versions work better than others. And you know what, Nancy? One of the reasons why I want to get this book out there and out of my computer is so I can get rid of all those versions. Delete, delete, delete. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Delete is a wonderful key. It it must feel good when it's done. Absolutely. It's wonderful. It's my baby that I now give to the world. Well, congratulations on getting it published and finished. That's, you know, a big, big achievement. Thank you so much. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by... Way Around, revolutionizing how people with vision loss keep track of important information about everyday things with the tap of a smartphone. The simple tag and scan system promotes independence in everyday situations. Learn more at www.wayaround.com. Let's start by meeting Maribel. Hi, my name is Maribel Steele. I'm an author from Australia. And you've been on our show previously. 
I have. I was talking about a project I did called Vision Quest. And remind people what Vision Quest was. Well, it was a one-day um, walking adventure through Melbourne to pair blind people and sighted people that had never met each other before to help dispel some of the myths about blindness. So it was really about getting in the shoes of a vision-impaired or blind person, and we had a lot of fun on the way. And before we get into the details of your book, which talks a little bit about this, tell people about your vision impairment. Yes. Well, I've been vision impaired since 15 when the diagnosis and the change of eyesight first appeared. That was very uh, strange and scary. We were not expecting it. And um, it's retinitis pigmentosa that I've had to adjust to. I've called it like my garment of change. It's like during my adolescence, I was given this garment that I really didn't like the look of, but over my lifetime, I've learned how to fashion it to really suit me, and I'm very proud of it now. So at this point, you're totally blind? No, I've been losing my sight gradually since 15, so I still have a little bit of vision in one eye, but I am totally blind at night. And I do notice through even times of great anxiety, it can have a dramatic shift on my vision. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is Maribel's new book entitled Blindness for Beginners. So we're going to talk in detail about your book and you sent me a pre-release copy of the book, and I intended to skim through it to see what it was all about, but I was so taken with it, I actually read the whole thing. It was a very good book. Oh, thanks, Kate. Especially talking about, uh, you know, your reticence about not feeling like you were blind when you were losing your vision, how you adjusted to it, and then tips for blindness people later on. Can you give us a quick summary of what the book covers and how you wrote it, what your intent was? And then we'll talk about some of the details of each section. Sure. So with the title, Blindness for Beginners, it was something that I wanted to help people realize that, um, you know, when you're stuck at that beginning phase, what do you do? You, we can live a life mastering skills, but then suddenly you get an eye condition and it's like being back at the beginning. So I wanted to put my book into three sections, which is the first part is the accepting, which is my story. I give my story of the overcoming, of the struggle, of what I needed to face and what the beautiful lessons I learned in facing the difficulties so as the author, I wanted to establish that I've been there, I've done the struggle, and that is why I hope the reader will feel comfortable with what I have to say next, which in part two is what I call the adapting chapters. And this is all the practical tips. So what do you do to adjust emotionally? Maybe you can take up journaling to write down your thoughts. What are the supports that you need to look for? Maybe you're not ready for support. What are the issues that you need to go into? and face yourself and when we get through that emotional adjusting then I go into many tips about the other senses and I love the section and I hope you might have enjoyed it too Pete on I call it lifesavers to the rescue and these are the senses of intuition and humor and even collaborating with others and dealing with frustration they're all covered in one chapter 
And then I move on to the practical side of organising your home, living with a sighted family, keeping a bathroom where all of you can function well. Uh, I do write about you don't want to end up tasting shaving cream because I've done that. You did mention that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Pete makes interesting noises when things like that happen. (laughs) So there's lots of tips in that section, part two organizing the home and even stepping out how to live independently do you want to choose a guide dog what are the differences of using a guide dog to using a white cane and then part three is very much for the sighted reader for somebody who may not even know much about vision loss and how to help someone if they see them in the street what are the what are the best ways to approach a person with a vision impairment Uh, There's lots of tips there, and it is also for carers and family to learn what I call one common oversight. The oversight was don't rush. It's really hard being with sighted people if they rush you into making quick decisions to cross a road and things like that. So part three is very much for the sighted reader, and therefore I hope that my book overall has something for everyone. Well, I thought it was a nice story of making this transition through the various stages of losing your vision, uh, from the acceptance to the adjustment to, you know, how do you deal with it in real life now that you've accepted it and this is the way life is. And it was a very positive story. Mm. I thought it might be instructive to go through each of these sections and talk about some highlights in those sections so people can get a feel for specifically what's in the book. And I was quite taken with the first section about acceptance. You know, this seems like a common thing and probably the biggest barrier for many people who have some kind of disability or some kind of change in life is accepting their situation. And it took you a long time to do that from when you were 15 to your 30s, right? It took me a long time yes it took a long time even maybe 20 years to really accept it like I I knew that I had a vision impairment but I didn't want to tell people it was like my private business so how do you get around if you can't see properly and not tell people but I used other techniques and I basically um leaned on my family and my children a lot while they were happy to be my eyes then I would just ask my children Uh, but of course that led to some funny incidences which I write about in the book and it was basically on one day which is in chapter two which is called facing the truth I I walked into the bank I couldn't see and this voice just went you have to stop bluffing you have to get help And it was like, well, why am I surprised to learn this? But it was because the stigma that I was facing was actually not society stigma. It was my own. It was my own feeling that people are going to feel sorry for me. So I have to look strong. I have to look independent. I need to be a a normal mother. And all these things drove me to keep my disability as hidden as possible. Well, I was really taken with the extent that you did try to hide your disability. You had some stories about taking your children to the store in the carriage and more or less using the baby carriage as a cane to bump into (laughs) obstacles and navigate. I know. It's a bit embarrassing. Um, It's just, yes, I just... I just that's how ashamed I was that's how bad I felt that I couldn't accept this this label I call the label of disabled so that's why I tend to talk about the word I have sensibility 
rather than disability because we learn that we actually have so many other abilities just in other areas. So it took me that long time to really accept that. Yeah, and I think that's sort of a common feeling. You know, you talk about blindness, but we know many elderly people that they have trouble walking and may refuse to use a walking stick to help their stability, and then they fall and hurt themselves, and that's a bigger disaster. Or, you know, other issues like that, as people's abilities change, there's a reluctance to use aids, to ask for help, and you certainly went through that for a long time before you... Mm chose to do things differently. Well, and I think the root cause is that the general population of fully able-bodied people look at others who have various challenges and just assume that they're not capable of being fully independent. And so if you've grown up as part of that able-bodied community and then all of a sudden you develop a major physical challenge like blindness, that's going to be your attitude towards yourself, or you're at least conscious that you don't want other people feeling that way about you. Exactly. And the comment, oh, you poor thing. Um, it's often I say, you know, it's like someone saying to you, oh, you're a brunette. Oh, you poor thing. You know, <laughs> it's just, it's got nothing to do with, you know, but you get comments like that, which really are like, well, why? Why do I need to be seen as a poor thing? And that's what I felt I was going to be seen as. But as you read, uh, when I get to meet my guide dog, that was the beginning of coming out. That was the, well, I'm telling the world. I am vision impaired. I have a guide dog. And even that surprised me because what I feared once as being judged, suddenly people were so inspired. They were like, oh, you just, you know, you work so well and you look so confident down the street and everything just changed. And he glided past every obstacle so confidently that it really made me feel like I owned my disability at that point. Yes, the second section really takes a very positive twist as you begin to realize that there are different ways of doing things. Other people are accomplishing these things and making their life easier by making certain adaptations. And then you started taking that under your wing and making these adaptations yourself. And all of a sudden, that opened up lots of new opportunities and experiences in your life, didn't it? Yes. And you know, one of the main reasons for writing the book is to really encourage people not to take as long as I did. I could have really reached out for a lot more support, but my self-pride to stay hidden just stopped me reaching out for all the things, other things I could have done. And uh, that's why I hope my book will give someone that little nudge to really let go, let go of the fear and as I said, my favorite quote from Susan Jeffers is, feel the fear and do it anyway. Really, the quicker we can do that and move on, the quicker we will reach other goals. In the book, it seems like your first big step was getting the guide dog. And the next thing was learning to use a screen reader so you could access your computer and information. Can you talk a little bit about how those things changed, how you were living and your point of view on life, your approach? 
Well, it was interesting because people were using computers and I just thought, well, I can't see the screen. So obviously I'm not going to be able to use a computer. And I was with my guide dog. I studied some courses so that I could become more of a speaker to organisations to talk about living with vision impairment. But what I was doing was just handwriting all my notes in large print and giving it to my father, who would then be typing it up on his computer. And it was only one day when a girlfriend of mine said, you know, you could just enlarge the font on the screen so you could see it. I was like, what? You didn't know that. <laughs> and, no, it's that simple little, yeah, you can do this. I was so amazed that I then made inquiries and I found that there were courses to learn computer techniques with screen readers and I was just into it. It was challenging, hugely challenging to start learning with a screen reader because of this, what I call my verbose parrot in one ear and trying to listen to the trainer in the other. And like every new skill, you're at the beginning and you've just got to work your way through it. But wow, did that change my life? Because being able to use a computer now is where I am in writing my book. If I hadn't taken on that skill, I wouldn't have become a blogger. I wouldn't be writing all the course material that I do for training sessions and so many other things that it has opened my life to do. And I think that's something else that commonly happens to people who have these changes happen to them. They're not aware of the tools and resources that are available to them. I mean, as you say, you didn't know that all these magnification features were built into just about every computer and even speech synthesis these days. Mm. And it's also why I've got a section at the back of the book, which is called References and Resources. So everything that I speak about in the book, as, as so I don't want the reader to have to stop and suddenly write something down, they are all captured at the back and they can run through the list and there might be little places that they haven't thought of. One particular one I love is this website called Storyline Online. And it's where actors from the American Actors Guild are reading beautiful children's stories. There's music, there's beautiful bright big pictures for children to see, but it's also being read by uh, an actor. And so you can sit with your child and have this wonderful story full of character and life being read to you. And I just really, really love that. So that's one of the things I include in my reference list. And that's the other thing you mentioned in that part of the book is that it's okay to ask for help. First of all, it makes other people feel good. And second of all, sometimes help is a good thing. So I guess having said that, it makes me realize that at the core of my book, it is all about be strong and ask for help because we see asking help or some people can see asking help as a weakness, but I've learned after all that effort and waste of time in not seeking support, it really is a strength. The moment you can seek support, that's actually strong. You can delegate. It's much easier for everyone. Your family doesn't struggle. You don't struggle. Simple tasks can just be delegated by a simple ask or a request. And you know what? People love to help. You know what it's like when someone comes over and they want to wash up at a party? If you say, oh, no, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it, people go, oh, well, I wanted to help. It's the same. People do actually want to help, and it's okay to seek their help. Yeah, I always encourage people to help. In fact, I've had situations where I'll be waiting on a street corner with my cane for a friend, 
and some person will come up and let me help you cross the street, Sonny. And I'll say, no, I'm just waiting for a friend. No, let me help you cross the street. <laughs> and after two or three of these rounds, I finally let them help me cross the street. So they feel good about that. And then I just wait until I think they're gone and cross back to wait where I was waiting originally. <laughs> That's great. Your book is titled Blindness for Beginners, and it is replete with good advice for people who are finding themselves newly blind or low vision. Most of our listeners have visual impairments, so they've been at it for a while. They probably know most of the common stuff that you suggest, but do you have any tips and advice that maybe wouldn't be so obvious to people? Well, I think Reading someone else's story always helps us know we're not alone. It could also help people to give it to family and friends or colleagues. Go, look, see, see, this is what it's like. <laughs> Read this book. Um, so it might be that I'm being a voice for others and putting it in a way that that's all in one place that they might be able to share with with other people. What I think was interesting about your book in the section where you give all these tips for daily living was it really resonated with me because I saw myself, you know, I've been blind all my life and I've developed many of those same techniques sort of independently. But in some sense, by seeing these in a book, there's two advantages. First of all, if you newly have a vision problem, it sort of jumpstarts the process. You don't have to have 20 years of experience to be picking up these little tidbits one at a time through the years. And the other thing is, just trading stories with somebody. You may give 100 tips. I may know 90 of them, but I might pick up a couple that I hadn't noticed before, or a different way of doing things. Yeah, I think so. So it's a little bit of that. The Even, you know, there's a section there on gadgets galore, and it talks about certain things. I mean, maybe there's some things there that somebody didn't know about, or it could be there's a lot of anecdotes sprinkled throughout the book. Apart from the chapters, I've got personal stories. There might be little things there that, like you say, just that heartwarming resonance. Right that, yeah, wow, she went through that too. Oh, I'm really pleased to know that. And then the other thing you put in the book was a whole section of tips and hints for the sighted people who are living with or working with somebody with a visual impairment. And, you know, there's an awful lot of stuff that I've learned to do over the years. And if I forget, I get reminded politely but, you know, it really helps to have input from somebody who's been there and learned by doing. And in that section, which is the assisting section, part three, there are a lot of things that if you do know someone and you're working with them already, there are a lot of things there that you might know. But there are common questions that I think are interesting. I, I mentioned 10 common questions people ask. I was also very surprised to find why some sighted people won't even go and ask a person with a vision impairment for help because they don't want to offend them. And that was very, very interesting for me. So I sort of explore that theme or that concept. Why would you not offer your help? And how people are afraid because in this day and age, we, we want to be politically correct we don't want to offend people. We don't want to say the wrong thing. And I talk about it's all right to use language like look out, watch your step, or just going over there, things like that, just to help my sighted community relax about being around people with vision impairment. And that's hard to do because they don't see 
those types of people every day in their experiences. But you're right. It's very good when people do volunteer their help. And then you have the choice of either accepting or not. Mm. And so I try to just bring that awareness to the sighted reader, you know, just to be casual around us. There's no problem. We're not a different species. <laughs> We're just people, people first. That's the thing. The story I thought was funny in your description of getting sighted help was you as a woman getting help from a male in terms of many of the men feel that the women have to go through an open door first. And you mm. had the experience of a male opening the door for you and then shoving you through rather than leading you through. I hadn't had that experience. <laughs> yes. So, but And it is tricky because obviously men do want to open the door and, and let you go through, but I have to let them know you go first. And the incident you're talking about is one of the funniest ones where I was being led through a very narrow small door into a sauna so of course you have to keep the door shut at all times to keep the heat in and because I was going in a little too slowly my partner dragged me by my hair pulled me through oh, it's like oh <laughs> and my comment is I guess Tarzan hadn't read my best guiding techniques yet <laughs> so I mean it was just one of those things he just went to grab me and my hair happened to be the closest thing but it was very funny as you can probably tell, this book is full of useful tips and information, all told with a very nice light touch, which you might find interesting and or useful. Now for this week's final item, how to reach Maribel, how to learn more about her work, and how to obtain a copy of her new book entitled Blindness for Beginners. So if people would like to obtain a copy of this book for themselves, where would you send them, Maribel? At the moment, they would need to contact me. I'm self-published and I'm just working out how to market the book. But basically, if they could contact me and I can give my um, email address. Go ahead. So it's Maribel, M-A-R-I-B-E-L, at springstudio.com.au. And I'll be able to give them the relevant places to get the book. I do intend to turn it into an ebook and also audiobook, but that will be down the track. Do you have a website? And my website is www.maribelsteel.com. And how you spell that is M-A-R-I-B-E-L-S-T-E-E-L.com. And what will people be able to find at that website? Well, they will find information about what I've written before, my background as an author, speaker, writer. They'll also find uh, information about the book, and there's some audio stories they can listen to. Do you have a social media presence? Well, I like to use LinkedIn as my social media presence. So if you Google my name and LinkedIn, then we can make a connection and go from there. I know you have an extensive list of resources in the back of their book, but is there any place in particular that you would like to point somebody who's newly blind for additional good advice? Yes, absolutely. You could go to APH, the American Printing House for the Blind. Uh, they have an amazing set of resources there. And I also am one of the peer advisors. So I write for visionaware.org. And we have wonderful team of people writing articles on all sorts of things to do with low vision and adapting 
in so many ways. So I would definitely recommend that. And as usual, you can find all of that information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 1849. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about IRA, a service for people with vision loss in which they can get on-demand assistance from a remote-sighted guide. We'll speak with Jonathan Mosen, Vice President for Australasia and Explorer Communications, about what's new at IRA and what capabilities you might find useful. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.